0: Hello, welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast, the podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. On tonight's episode, we're going to continue with The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. I know a lot of people like this book, so I've decided to read a few chapters in consecutive episodes all in this week. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you do, please feel free to say hello via the website or subscribe to the episode in the app. In the meantime, all you have to do is lie back, relax, and enjoy. The reading. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Chapter Three Tom as a General, Triumph and Reward, Dismal Felicity, Commission and Omission. Tom presented himself before Aunt Polly, who was sitting by an open window in a pleasant rearward apartment, which was bedroom, breakfast room, dining room, and library combined. The balmy summer air, the restful quiet, the odour of the flowers, and the drowsing murmur of the bees had had their effect. And she was nodding over her knitting for she had no company but the cat and it was asleep in her lap. Her spectacles were propped up on by her grey head for safety. She had thought that of course Tom had deserted long ago and she wondered at seeing him place himself in her power again in this intrepid way he said might I not go and play now aunt what are you ready how much have you done it's all done aunt Tom don't lie to me I can't bear it I ain't aunt it is all done Aunt Polly placed small trust in such evidence. She went out to see for herself, and she would have been content to find 20% of Tom's statement to be true. When she found the entire fence whitewashed, and not only whitewashed, but elaborately coated and re-coated, and even a streak added to the ground. Her astonishment was almost unspeakable. She said, Well, I never. There's no getting round it. You can work when you're a mind to it. And then she diluted the compliment by adding, But it's powerful seldom you're a mind to it. I'm bound to say well go along and play but mind you get back for some time in a week or I'll tan you she was so overcome by the splendor of his achievement that she took him into the closet and selected a choice apple and delivered it to him along with an improving lecture upon the added value and flavor a treat took to itself when it came without sin through virtuous effort. And while she closed with a happy scriptural flourish, he hooked a donut. Then he skipped out and saw Sid just starting up the outside stairway that led to the back rooms on the second floor. Clods were handy, and the air was full of them in a twinkling. They raged around Sid, like a hailstorm, and before Aunt Polly could collect her surprised faculties, and Sally to the rescue, six or seven clods had taken personal effect, and Tom was over the fence and gone. There was a gate, but as a general thing, he was too crowded for time to make use of it. His soul was at peace now, that he had settled with Sid for calling attention to his black thread and getting him into trouble. Tom skirted the block, and came round into a muddy alley that led by the back of his aunt-cow stable. He presently got safely beyond the reach of capture and punishment, and hastened toward the public square of the village, where the two military companies of boys had met for the conflict, according to previous appointment. Tom was general of one of these armies, Joe Harper, a bosom friend, general of the other. These two great commanders did not condescend to fight in person, that being better suited to the still smaller fry, but sat together on an eminence and conducted the field operations by orders delivered through aides-de-camp. Tom's army won a great victory after a long and hard-fought battle. Then the dead were counted, prisoners exchanged, the terms of the next disagreement agreed upon, and the day for the necessary battle appointed after which the armies fell into line and marched away, and Tom turned homeward, alone. As he was passing by the house where Jeff Thatcher lived, he saw a new girl in the garden, a lovely little blue-eyed creature with yellow hair plaited into two long tails, white summer frock and embroidered pan towelettes the fresh crowned hero fell without firing a shot a certain amy lawrence vanished out of his heart and left not even a memory of herself behind he had thought he loved her for the distraction he had regarded his passion As adoration and behold it was only a poor little evanescent partiality he had been months winning her she had confessed hardly a week ago he had been the happiest and the proudest boy in the world only seven short days and here in one instant of time She had gone out of his heart like a casual stranger whose visit is done. He worshipped this new angel with furtive eye till he saw that she had discovered him. Then he pretended he did not know she was present and began to show off in all sorts of absurd boyish ways in order to win her admiration. He kept up this grotesque foolishness for some time, but by and by, while he was in the midst of some dangerous gymnastic performances, he glanced aside and saw that the little girl was wending her way toward the house. Tom came up to the fence and leaned on it, Grieving and hoping she would tarry yet a while longer, she halted a moment on the steps and then moved toward the door. Tom heaved a great sigh as she put her foot on the threshold, but his face lit up right away, for she tossed a pansy over the fence a moment before she disappeared. The boy ran around and stopped within a feet or two of the flower and then shaded his eyes with his hand and began to look down straight as if he had discovered something of interest going on in that direction. Presently, he picked up a straw and began trying to balance it on his nose with his head tilted far back And as he moved from side to side, in his efforts, he edged nearer and nearer toward the pansy. Finally, his bare foot rested upon it, his pliant toes closed upon it, and he hopped away with the treasure and disappeared round the corner. But only for a minute only while he could button the flower inside his jacket next his heart or next his stomach, possibly for which he was not much posted in anatomy and not hypocritical anyway. He returned now and hung about the fence till nightfall, showing off as before, but the girl never exhibited herself again, though Tom comforted himself a little with the hope that she had been near some window, meantime and been aware of his intentions. Finally, he strode home reluctantly and his poor head full of visions. All through supper, His spirits were so high that his aunt wondered what had got into the child. He took a good scolding about clodding Sid and did not seem to mind it in the least. He tried to steal sugar under his aunt's very nose and got his knuckles wrapped for it. He said... "'Aunt, you don't whack Sid when he takes it. "'Well, Sid don't torment a body the way you do. "'You'd always be into that sugar if I weren't watching you.' "'Presently, she stepped back into the kitchen "'and Sid, happy in his immunity, "'reached for the sugar bowl, "'a sort of glorying over Tom.' which was well-nigh unbearable. But Sid's fingers slipped and the bowl dropped and broke. Tom was in ecstasy, in such ecstasy that he even controlled his tongue and was silent. He said to himself that he would not speak a word, even when his aunt came in, but would sit perfectly still, till she asked who did the mischief, and then he would tell, and there would be nothing so good in the world as to see that pet model catch it. He was so brimful of exultation that he could hardly hold himself when the old lady came back and stood above the wreck discharging lightnings of wrath from over her spectacles. He said to himself, Now it's coming, and the next instant, he was sprawling on the floor. The potent palm was uplifted to strike again, when Tom cried out, Hold on now, why are you belting me for? Sid broke it. Aunt Polly paused, perplexed and Tom looked for healing pity. But when she got her tongue again, she only said, Hm mm. Well, you didn't get a lick amiss, I reckon. You been into some other audacious mischief when I wasn't around. Like, enough. Then her conscience reproached her and she yearned to say something kind and loving, but she judged that this would be construed into a confession that she had been in the wrong, and discipline forbade that. So she kept her silence, and went about her affairs with a troubled heart. Tom sulked in a corner, and exalted his woes, He knew that in her heart his aunt was on her knees to him and he was morosely gratified by the consciousness of it. He would hang out no signals, he would take notice of none. He knew that a yearning glance fell upon him now and then through a film of tears but he refused recognition of it. He pictured himself lying sick unto death and his aunt bending over him, beseeching one little forgiving word, but he would turn his face to the wall and die with that word unsaid. Ah, how would you feel then? and he pictured himself brought home from the river dead with his curls all wet and his sore heart at rest and she would throw herself upon him and how her tears would fall like rain and her lips pray God to give her back her boy and she would never Never abuse him any more. But he would lie there cold and white and make no sign, a poor little sufferer whose griefs were at an end. He so worked up his feelings with the pathos of these dreams that he had to keep swallowing. He was so like to choke, and his eyes swam. In a blur of water, which overflowed when he winked, and he ran down and trickled from the end of his nose. And such a luxury to him was this petting of his sorrows that he could not bear to have any worldly cheeriness or any grating delight intrude upon it. It was too sacred for such contact and so presently when his cousin Mary danced in all alive with the joy of seeing home again after an age long visit of one week to the country he got up and moved in clouds and darkness out at one door as she brought song and sunshine in at the other He wandered far from the accustomed haunts of boys, and sought desolate places that were in harmony with his spirit. A log raft in the river invited him, and he seated himself on its outer edge, and contemplated the dreary vastness of the stream, wishing the while that only he could be drowned, all at once and unconsciously without undergoing the uncomfortable routine devised by nature. Then he thought of his flower. He got it out, rumpled and wilted and it mightily increased his dismal felicity. He wondered if she would pity him if she knew. Would she cry and wish that she had put it right around her arms and his neck and comfort him, or would she turn coldly away like all the hollow world? This picture brought such an agony of pleasurable suffering that he worked it over and over again in his mind and set it up in new and varied lights till he wore it threadbare at last he rose up sighing and departing in the darkness about half past nine or ten o'clock he came along the deserted street to where the adored unknown lived he paused a moment no sound fell upon his listening ear A candle was casting a dull glow upon the curtain of a second-story window. Was the sacred presence there? He climbed the fence, threaded his stealthy way through the plants, till he stood under that window. He looked up at it, long and with emotion, that he laid him down on the ground under it disposing himself upon his back and his hands clasped upon his breast and holding his poor wilted flower. And thus he would die out in the cold world with no shelter over his homeless head, no friendly hand to wipe the death damps from his brow no loving face to pity him when the great agony came. And thus she would see him when she looked out upon the glad morning. And oh, would she drop one little tear upon his poor, lifeless form. Would she heave one little sigh to see a bright, young life so rudely blighted so untimely cut down. The window went up, a maid servant's discordant voice profaned the holy calm, and a deluge of water drenched the prone martyr's remains. The strangling hero sprang up with a relieving snort. There was a whiz as of a missile in the air mingled with the murmur of a curse. A sound as of shivering glass followed, and a small vague form went over the fence and shot away in the gloom. Not long after, as Tom, all undressed for bed, was surveying his drenched garments by the light of a tallow dip, Sid woke up, but if he had any dim idea of making any references to allusions, he thought better of it and held his peace, for there was danger in Tom's eyes. Tom turned in without the added vexation of prayers, and Sid made mental note of the omission. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you're feeling a little sleepy. In the meantime, you're always welcome to listen to more episodes of the Boy to Sleep podcast, and I'll be back soon with more readings. Good night.